This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live Podcast. Real talk about talent acquisition, recruiting, sourcing, and hiring. With the godfather of sourcing. And now, welcome to Shally's Alley. With your host, the legend of legends, the big Bahumi, the salt in your shaker, Shally Steckerl. Sourcers and recruiters can learn a lot from anthropologists. Not because we're sourcing anthropologists, but because of the way that they go about doing what they do. I've believed for a long time that sourcing is both art and science. But part of the science involves making use of something as basic to science as the scientific method. Form a hypothesis, test it out, prove, disprove, becomes a theory, continue testing, becomes an immutable law, so to speak. I'm taking a few short times here, but you know what I mean. So what does anthropology offer to sourcing and recruiting? Well, first of all, thanks to anthropologists, we have social networks. You might not even know that part of the idea behind digital social social, <laughs> digital social networks comes from uh, people trying to prove the theory of um, commutability. So... Uh, typhoid Mary, for example, and, and how a virus spreads across communities and later on an idea and then later on social networks. And also part of it comes from people trying to overcome what was referred to as the Dunbar number. The Dunbar number is a number, 150 to be exact, that an anthropologist named Dunbar calculated as, or I guess postured as the maximum amount of people that you can keep in your head as your, your extended tribe. So you've got your close friends and family, and then you've got all the people that you know. Nowadays, you can know more than 150 people, but he was saying that you could really only have 150 real connections. Until, of course, you know, along came Facebook and Twitter, and now we have lots of not real connections by the millions. But I digress. So what do we learn from all of that? Well, Anthropology did lead us into sites like LinkedIn, and if you remember the very, very first version of LinkedIn, I'm dating myself, was Six Degrees. If you remember that, raise your hand, sixdegrees.com. The original Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, it wasn't actually Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but that's what it was about. Um, You know, failed miserably in like 98, 99, but then five years later, LinkedIn. So what else can we learn from anthropology then? Well, we can also look to anthropology for other ways to observe people because really sourcing is in and of itself a peripatetic, it's a peripatetic activity. The best sourcers can kind of be natives to the environment where they're sourcing. That's a lot of what I do to start discovering new techniques and playing with new ideas is to kind of go into the life of. If I'm going to, you know, source software engineers, then I need to go and do things and and be in places where software engineers do things and go like GitHub, for example. And, you know, that's, that's kind of an old standby now, but the same thing applies for any profession. So as, as anthropologists go and observe cultures, we do the same thing. We sourcers source through anthropology by going and observing these, these digital tribes of people that are like the target audience that we want to recruit. Where do these people go? Where is your tribe? What's their footprint? For example, you might find individuals in um, the hard sciences 
go to a lot of the publication sites like PubMed and uh, there's hundreds of these where they publish patents and where they have discussions around um, scientific ideas and the exchange of scientific information. And they're very detailed about documenting every step of the things that they do, including all the names of the people that they work with. You might find that people in computer science go to places to discuss code, like GitHub. You might find that people in, um, well, I don't know if you knew this, but there's actually a social network for truck drivers. It's called 18-wheeler, and it is literally the LinkedIn of truck drivers. They, you know, they, It's a completely different concept, but it's still the same basic idea of um, you know, that digital social anthropology. So what else can you do? Well, there's also events. As an anthropologist, you would attend events. An anthropologist studying a culture might go to a wedding or a funeral or a big dance or a holiday celebration to learn about the customs and culture and the things that affect these people and how they make decisions and how they think and et cetera. So as a sorcerer, why not do the same thing? We can virtually go to these events and look at the events online and people talking about the events and discussing the events and tweeting and Facebooking and whatever about the events, people that are attending and speaking and presenting. That's a form of digital anthropology. And Lo and behold, conversations actually take place. One of the techniques I like to talk about that I think uh, raises a lot of eyebrows is using pictures as a sourcing technique. Not just icons, but actually pictures. So when you look at the pictures from a conference, it's almost always just a bunch of people because, hey, let's face it, the conference takes place at uh, some random hotel conference ballroom. And other than maybe the booths being sort of interesting, there's really not a whole lot of landscape or scenery to look at. So most of the pictures are about people. And what do people usually wear around their necks at conferences? Badges. The badges have their name, their title, their company. And there you have it. You can source names from literally pictures of groups of people, cliques, tribes, gathering together at these events to celebrate, etc. Just like an anthropologist. Now, they're not weddings and funerals, but, you know, there's something else. It's still an event. What about location-based services? That's another type of sourcing technique. You might not know this, but when the cellular infrastructure was put in place, the government required that the cellular providers that were putting up this infrastructure make it possible for these phones and these signals to locate someone in the event that they call 911. This is a requirement. It's not something that the federal, that, sorry, that the um, telephone providers did voluntarily. It was very expensive to do it, but the government said, if we're going to have a bunch of people roaming around with portable phones, then we need to be able to find them in the event of an emergency. If they call 911, we need to be able to send the police or the ambulance to where they are. So guess what, AT&T and Sprint, you're going to need to put some location services in here. And they ate the expense. So as soon as... They figured out that they could do something to monetize that. They did. That's why we have Foursquare and Yelp because the phone companies needed to find ways to get their money back for this massive investment. And we started putting geolocation technology in apps that we then sold. Now, you might not be buying Foursquare or Yelp, but somebody else is. Just because you don't pay for something doesn't mean you're not the customer. In fact, if it's free, you're the product not the customer. So Yelp is selling your eyeballs 
It's selling your views, the same thing with Foursquare. But we can use these apps, Facebook and several others, to find out where people hang out. Just like I said before, if they hang out at places, concerts, chat rooms, whatever, the same thing happens in real life. And this is a way for us to bridge the gap between real life and the digital world because they're taking their real life phones with them to their real life locations and then they're checking in and tweeting from those locations. We can then identify people that hang out at a particular place, let's say a hospital. And if they tweet from that hospital pretty regularly, every day around the same time, they probably work there. I mean, sure, occasionally a patient or a guest might do that, but someone who consistently messages or tweets or posts from that hospital, chances are they probably work there. The same thing from buildings. You know that really big building in the middle of town that's really nice and it's got all the, the fancy glass and guess who's in that building? It's almost always... KPMG and Deloitte and Accenture and Oracle and Microsoft and the big brands that want that big location. So use that address. And who's tweeting from there? The consultants that work there. So this is how you can blend the world of digital anthropology and um, geolocation and sourcing techniques. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at RecruitingDaily.com.